Scott has, a, has an amazing history that I want to read to you. Um, he, 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 God has walked with him from boy band success and near stardom. Can we just give the Lord a hand for that? I mean, boy band just makes me happy. Through cocaine and alcohol addiction, we won't clap there, to near-death experiences, to Bible smuggling in the East, East, you can clap again, finding his wife, Jay, really clap, and completing a certificate in theology from the London School of Theology. So we are just, we are just absolutely delighted to have you, Scott. We give us all you've got, and we are, we are looking forward to it. Amen. Just one, can we just extend our hands right now? Lord, we just pray for Scott as he ministers. We ask for great grace upon him, Lord God. Bless him more than he even blesses us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. Good morning. How's everybody doing? I'm very blessed to be with you. Thank you, Carol, for making me feel so at home. Uh, and it's just been great to get to know you guys. Fana and his beautiful wife and family have opened their home to me. Where, where are those guys? Yes, over there. Thank you so much for having me. They've blessed me, looked after me, pampered me. So I felt very blessed. And uh, I've, been to, I've been in Cape Town for, I was in Cape Town for one week. And then I'm here and then going to Pretoria for another week. So this is my first time in the nation of South Africa. And I have to say, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I love it here. The people, and I love the worship team. Man, these guys are so good. Because I think we need a bit more life in church, you know what I mean? We need to enjoy it a little bit more, don't we? So these guys, you were getting me on my A game. You, you're bringing me joy. So thank you. Uh, I'm going to share whatever the Holy Spirit <laughs> pours out of me. I like to do it that way. I have a couple of like, basic ideas, and then I let the Lord lead me. Is that cool? You with me on that? Let's take a journey of faith together, yeah? Okay, let me pray. Holy Spirit, I just ask you, Lord, for the time that we have, that you would do what only you can do. I ask you that you would anoint my lips, Lord, that every word would point to Jesus. Lord, I pray that uh, the one desire that I have is that we leave this place with the name of Jesus upon our lips. Thank you that we've been invited to partner with you in this gospel and this proclamation. We love you, praise you, and everybody said, amen. Okay, I'm going to read you guys a scripture just to keep it legal. It's always good to open the Bible so I don't get told off. Just joking. I love opening the Bible. Now, you might have it in the old-fashioned form, booklet form. Uh, most of you guys have it on your phones. I go old school. I like to smell the pages. That's just the generation I'm from. Okay, so I'm going to read from Luke chapter 5. This is what it says. One day, Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds pressed in on him to hear the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon its owner to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners into the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. 
You know, the Lord spoke to me a lot through this passage. I'm, into, I'm a person who likes going out in the deep. That's just the way I roll. But the Lord began to speak to me through this passage, you know, and I just want to give my little interpretation on it, and I'm just going to share a couple of stories because that's what I like to do. I'm a little storyteller, and I believe it will bless you guys, okay? I'm going to make it practical. So this is how it works. One day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, okay? Here's the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, when Jesus preaches, people like to, to listen. So what happens is when he's on the shore, there is multitudes listening. The multitudes, they gather around, they like to listen. And this is why they like to listen, especially in the shore. Because on the shore, it is very safe. So when you, call, when you hang out on the shore and you kinda, you're safe, you, you know, there's no risk, you're not going to drown, you're not going to get eaten by sharks, nothing's going to happen, you, you're in a safe place. And that is where the multitudes like to be. All of us like to play it safe if we can. It's human nature. So we hang out on the shore and we listen. Many multitudes hear, heard the word of the Lord. Now, this is the problem. We are called to be doers, not just hearers. In, one, in James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Be doers of the word, not just hearers. You see, many like to hang out in the multitudes just listening. But what I believe the Lord is looking for, He's looking for men and women who say, Hey, I'm not just going to listen, but I'm going to do. And God, in these days, He wants His church to be doers in the deep. That is where he's looking. And let me tell you why. Because people are drowning. People are drowning. Have you guys ever seen the movie, The Titanic? Yeah. So in the Titanic, we see this scene where there's thousands of souls in the ocean crying out to be rescued. Yeah. And they're shouting and screaming, help, help. And they're crying out for somebody to rescue them. That's what life is like. People are crying out. People are desperate to be rescued. But often what we do, like the people in the boats, in the rescue boats, we sit in churches that are a quarter filled. And we pretend we can't hear the screams of the drowning. But what the Lord's telling us to do is to say, hey, don't just have your holy huddles. Don't just have your nice little safe environments where you all gather around together in multitudes and listen to my word and be hearers. But actually what I want you to do is take the word I'm giving you and go and be doers and do something about it. Go and rescue some people. That's what the Lord's calling us to do. Now, it's a little scary, yeah. But you know what? Whenever you go, he goes with you. We sang it this morning. And that song, you know, wherever, he go, wherever you go, he's going to go with you. And that's what he does, you know. Now, every believer wants the adventure. Which is why we all like reading the books. We like reading people's life stories, autobiographies. We like watching the documentaries about the people who are doing this and that. But often... We want what they have, but we're not willing to count the cost. So we kind of say, man, I really want, you know, I want to see people saved. I want to see God turn my nation upside down. And that's great, but it's only going to happen if you leave this place. You can't stay on the shoreline. You're never going to see it if you don't move. But I believe God wants to do it. But we've got to step in to what he's offering us. You see, out in the deep, that's where the big fish are. And often, for many of us, we don't think we have what it takes to go into the deep. We feel inadequate. We're like, man, I, what can I do? I'm just, you know, I'm just a business guy. I just kind of run my business and you know, provide for my family. I can't go out there and do that. I wouldn't know what to do. 
And often what we do is we come to our conferences and come to our church gatherings and we say, God, okay, here's how it works, Lord. If you give me more power, then I'm going to go. Let's, let's just make this deal, okay? Fill me, fill me, more power, more love. Just keep flowing. Just keep pouring it in and then I'll go. But actually what Jesus says is this. No, 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 no. You got it the wrong way around. You go and I'll give you more power. You see, he wants us to go because he said, go and make disciples. Now, if you could do it all from here, then you wouldn't need faith. But what he's saying is you need to trust me. You're not going to know what it's going to look like, but just trust me. Step into it. I remember I was in Portland in the U.S. where I'm, I've been living for the past five months. And I was speaking at a big conference, you know. And there was a lot of like very well-known speakers who you guys would know. And I, I was with a guy, an evangelist, and I didn't really know him. And I'm like, hey, do you want to grab a coffee, man? So we go and we walk through the streets of Portland. Portland's very rough. It's kind of a lot of drug addiction and kind of crazy stuff. It's actually the most, uh, the least godless city in the whole of the U.S. So it's like just really kind of secularized and, and it's kind of really crazy. So me and this guy, we're walking down the streets and we're just hanging out, chatting. And then we walk past a few people on a bridge and the guys are like, you know, uh, like homeless and that kind of thing. So we just keep walking and, and I'm just talking and, and then I'm thinking, I stopped and I thought, hang on, I've just passed a couple of people on a bridge here because I got so engrossed in my conversation about the Lord. I'm like, what am I doing? So I turn around and I'm like, hey, hey man, can I just tell you about Jesus? And I shared the gospel with this guy. He was a meth addict. This guy's on, on meth. So he gets saved. He's very erratic and he's like doing all these weird things. And he's like pointing me in the chest and poking me in the chest. And, and then anyway, I share the gospel and the, and the spirit of God touches him and he gets saved. Now, I could have just said, hey, it was great to meet you. Now I'm just going to carry on in my conversation and, and go and have my coffee. I'm like, what are you doing right now? He's like, well, I'm not doing anything, man. I'm homeless. I'm like, well, cool. Come with us. We're going to take you for a coffee. We're going to get to know you. So we took him for this, this coffee shop, and we're sitting there, and there's two other Christian guys from the conference. So uh, one of the guys is a businessman, and he's like, hey, and this guy's like, no, no clothes, like rips in his clothes and uh, shoes hanging off. The guy's like, what size shoes are you? What, what size waist are you? He goes out to the store and buys like all these like North Face designer clothes, comes back, gives it to the guy, and then uh, we're like, hey, do you want to come to, to our conference, man? And he's like, well, I would, but I've got to be in, uh, in the, the uh, hostel for 7 p.m. Otherwise, I don't get a bed. I'm like, don't worry about that. We'll take care of you. So we bring him to the conference. We go into the green room. He goes into the bathroom, gets changed in all his new clothes. And then we bring him into the green room, green room where there's like caterers. You've got like Todd White sitting here, Daniel Kalenda, who, who's the successor of Reinhard Bonnke. You've got all these people in the green room hanging out, having a dinner. And there's our friend Nicholas. And they don't know who he is, you know what I mean? So he's sitting, because he's looking a bit cleaner now. So he's sitting there, and he's having his dinner, and he's hanging out and everything like that. And then we bring him into the main service, and we're hanging out, and we're just kind of enjoying worshiping the Lord. And then I go into the, uh, into the back room, and I make a phone call and book him a motel. So I pay for a motel, and then I'm like, Lord, bless this guy. I walk back in, and this man says to me, hey, God, you spoke to me. He hands me $500. He said, God told me to, to, give, to give this to you. So the Lord, he provides for you. But I'm going to tell you this. What he's looking for you to do, he's looking for you to go into the deep and then he'll provide for you. See, often we stay here on the shore and we're like, Lord, provide. I've got all these needs. I've got all these things I need to do. You know, take care of this. I've got a ministry and I want you to provide for it. Uh, but the Lord's like, okay, just meet me out there where I, where I am. Because Jesus hangs out walking on water in the deep. That's where he is. So he's like, come and meet me out here. 
and then I'll, I'll be with you. You see, what we need to do is we need to allow our surrender to slingshot us into the swell of the storm. That's what God's looking for. We need to get right in the thick of it. You know, with the disciples, when they were in the boat and the Sea of Galilee, and you know what happened? Jesus walked past. He's like walking. They think he's a ghost, and he's like just chilling out, you know, walking on the, on the waters. And, and then, obviously, they, they get really scared. You know, they're like, he's a ghost, he's a ghost. And then Peter's like, hey, can I, can I come out? This is what happens. When you go in the deep, you can do what Jesus does. Simple as that. You can do exactly what he does. So Peter's like, uh, Jesus is like, yeah, of course you can, man. Come on, come on out. So Peter gets out, and he's like, whoa, I'm walking on water. What's going on? And he's like so excited and he's buzzing, in it, as we say, and he's really excited. And then what happens? He takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. Because the only way it works in the deep is when you've got your eyes on him. So our friend, Nicholas, we, uh, we get him in a rehab. He gets clean off drugs. And the Lord turns the whole thing around. But I was in the conference, during the night I was in the conference and and there's all these people, these known speakers there. And, and then this guy comes over who's, um, who's quite well known. And, and um, none of the people I, I mentioned. But a different guy. And he comes over and, he, and he, he prays for this, my friend, Nicholas. He starts praying for him. And he's praying for him and he's kind of like, you know, he, he's kind of loving the fact that he's praying for him. And then this other guy comes and he takes a picture of it. And this other guy who's well known posts his picture of this guy praying. And he's like, yeah, check this guy out praying for this guy. This guy, you know, like, like making a big thing about it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, let me tell you what just happened there. This is what just happened. Scott, you just went and caught a big fish in the deep. And now they want to hold it and take pictures with it. You see, people don't want to count the cost to go into the deep and catch the big fish. But what they like to do is hold the fish that you catch. I'm just being honest. But I believe this. I believe that God is calling every one of us into the deep. But it's going to cost you and it's going to be scary. I was, in my, I was in Northern Ireland in my home and my wife is like asking me to paint the house. You know, I like paint my, my room, a couple of rooms. And I'm like, I don't like, I don't like doing those kind of things. I gotta, I'm not a guy. You're not going to find me on a Saturday afternoon washing my car. You're not going to find me mowing the lawn. I'd rather pay someone. You're not going to find me doing odd jobs, fixing things. I'm just not that kind of guy. Man, if I've got any time, I want to preach the gospel. What are my hobbies? Preaching the gospel. I don't have any other hobbies. I'm just being honest. So my wife, anyway, she's like, look, will you just paint the house? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it next week. And then next week, next week. And eventually I'm like, I better do it. Because happy wife, happy life. You know what I mean? So I'm there and I'm painting my, my house and I'm just doing my errand. I'm not, it's not very exciting. I'm not fasting and praying. I'm not in the third heaven. I'm just kind of just painting. Anyway, in this moment, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and gives me a vision. The vision is of me stood in the worst street in my community. And I'm like super scared. Now, in this particular street, it is a, it is a few bar. Have any of you guys seen Finger of God 2, the movie? No. Okay, so I'd advise you to check it out. So in this particular street where we live, there is a, like these three bars, and they are like full of crazy people murderers, bank robbers. Uh, you guys know the IRA. So the kind of paramilitary organizations like that, that's where the people who kind of are, are high up in it drink. 
they frequent these particular bars. One in particular. So one guy's like kill people and, and like bank robbers, like the whole thing, gangsters, crazy stuff, man. So you don't want to go there to hang out, really. But the thing is, Jesus likes hanging out in those kind of places. So there's me doing my thing, and I see this vision of me outside sharing the gospel, and I began to tremble because I was like so scared, you know. And I'm thinking, I'm not going there. Now, to make it worse, I had PTSD at the time, post-traumatic stress disorder. I was on medication. I'm like, you know, like some days can't leave the house. I'm like suffering with anxiety. Do you know what I mean? So I'm thinking, this is not my vision. This is for the brave warrior who has it all together. This is for the pastor, Mike. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, listen, man, some days I'm facing, I'm struggling just to get out the home. But anyway, the Lord doesn't seem to mind those kind of things. He seems to put the invitation out there regardless of how you feel about yourself. So he shows me the vision and I'm like, man, I can't do that. So it takes me nine months to go. Nine months of wrestling with the Lord. Nine months of hearing the voice and then trying to press it down, turn the radio up, pretend I can't hear. You know, the things we do when God speaks, we pretend we can't really hear it, you know. Maybe it's not the Lord. Maybe it's just me, you know, these kind of things. So anyway, nine months go by. Eventually, I'm like, okay, I've got to do, got to go. The Lord makes it so clear that I have to go. So I turn up at the bar. Now, the bar, this is something that's never been done in my community. I even asked my pastor, I'm like, do you think I should go? He's like, I can't tell you that. I'm like, just give me a yes or no answer, please. This is not helpful for me. So I go to the bar, and all I do is what, I've, what I know. Now, you know, you know David, King David? He began as a shepherd boy, didn't he? And when he faced Goliath, they tried to put him in Saul's armor. But he couldn't move that way. Because he could only do what he'd always done, which is the sling and the stones. So for me, there was no rule book. There's no manual. There was no kind of uh, way of doing it. So I just thought, wow, the only thing I know is music. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rock up with my little speaker. I put my speaker facing the bar door, <laughs> connected it to my phone, and hit the play on for, uh, for Christian music. Just press play. And then I just kind of stood there and was like, <laughs> just wait to see what's going to happen, you know? So then these people start to come out, and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> but I'm, ju I'm just going to just tell you about Jesus, man, and stuff. And like, some people are like, no. And some people, well, what do you want to say? And so I got to pray for some folks and, you know, got to kind of cross a line I'd never crossed before. And it was amazing. I skipped down the street. I'm like, praise God, I, I did it. And then the next week, the Lord's like, great, now go back again. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, man, I can get back to Sunday nights with my wife, watching a movie. But no, the Lord's like, that's just the beginning, now go again. So I go the next week, this is what happens. Week number two, I turn up with my music. And the bar owner steps out of the bar. He's like six foot four, crazy looking dude, which you'd have to be to run a bar like that. Steps out and he's like, what are you doing outside my bar? And I'm like, well, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of want to tell people about Jesus. He's like, you don't come to my street and you don't play that effing Christian music. And he's like swearing and going crazy and like that. And I'm like, no, you know, this is not what I signed up for. So he gets up close to me, and it's escalating and escalating, and then the last thing, he puts his head against my head. He says, why are you here? <laughs> I was thinking, that's a pretty good question. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, help me. So he puts his head, and he's about to headbutt me, and then I just said, Jesus sent me. <laughs> and as I said, Jesus, he went, and pulled his head away like that. And he starts walking up and down the street. And he's getting really angry. And his friend's trying to calm him down. Now, I'm stood there. 
I'm trying to kind of regulate my breathing. You see, you see, for people like me, they don't advise, the doctor doesn't advise that you go and stand with killers and have them headbutt you. What the doctor says is this, Scott, you need to go on country walks. You need to listen to whales. You need to go horseback riding, watching the sunset. You know what I mean? Those kind of things. Not standing in front of crazy people, but the Lord has a different way of doing things. See, the way the Lord heals is by saying, go right out in the deep. I'll meet you there, and together we'll do this thing. So I stand there, and then the guy's pacing up and down. He goes in the bar next door, and then I'm thinking, okay, relax, relax. So he's there five minutes in the bar next door. He puts his head out. He says, you in here now. And I'm like, no. So I'm thinking I've got two options here. One, run away. Or two, I go out in the blaze of glory. I'm thinking I've come this far. Let's do it. So I walk in the bar, and I'm thinking they're all going to jump on me and everything. But I walk in, and, and just a bar owner's just sitting there. And he's sitting there with his arms folded, and he says, I want to buy you a drink. So I'm kind of thinking, you know, what's the catch here? I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll have a drink here. Yeah. And then he's just staring at me, and he says, I want to ask you a question. Are you happy? I'm thinking, does he mean right now? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm happy, man, yeah, yeah. He says, well, I'm not. And then I began to tell him the reason why I'm happy. I shared Jesus with the guy. So anyway, we were there about 20 minutes. I go back the next week. Next week, I walk in that bar. It is like the Red Sea's parting. All these like crazy people who'd been there before the previous two weeks, giving me lots of uh, hand gestures. It's like they had arthritis in their middle finger. <laughs> were kind of like, suddenly they moved out the way and I'm just like walking and they're like stepping aside. And at the end of the room is the bar owner playing poker with his friends. He gets up, he says, Scott! Comes over, puts his arm around me, brings me to the bar, and he's like, he's my new best friend. And I'm like, what's going on? But you know what God had done? God had given me favor. You see, when you go out in the deep, you let him worry about the storm. You don't try and control the storm. You just say, Jesus, okay, this is scary. My faith is struggling right now. And you know what he says? He says, hey, why are you so little faith? Man, I'm just asleep. I'm just asleep on the boat. I've never left you. I'm right here with you. If I was even, if I was even bothered that this guy was going to do anything to you, then I would wake up. But I don't even need to wake up because I've got this. I'm in control of this situation. So I'm kind of thinking, you know, what do I do? So I'm thinking, let's kind of really, uh, you know, monopolize on this. Uh, let's really uh, make the most of this situation. Let's kind of capitalize on this opportunity. I said, hey, can I come to your bar and bring my worship team? And we're going to do church in your bar. Now, this bar is like a dungeon. It's like there's no windows. It's just like a little, like black darkness, crazy place. I'm like, can I come and bring Jesus to the bar? And he's like, okay, yeah. And I'm like, but it's going to be full on Jesus praying for people. He's like, whatever, yeah. So I go to my worship team. I say, hey, who wants a gig? And they're like, yeah, yeah, where is it? And then I said, it's in this bar. And they're like, oh, no, man. I, 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 I'm busy that night. Can't really make it, you know. And, uh, but a couple of the brave ones, they come with us. And we go and we take church to the bar. You see, we don't stay at the shore and wait for them to come to us. We say, no, we're going to go and catch you. We're not waiting for those big fish to come and land. We're going to go and catch them. So that's what we did. We go and we bring church to this bar. 
The bar owner says to me, Scott, this, the church has never crossed the lines of this street and we have never welcomed the church. This is the first time. So we go and we just bring the presence of God. I stand up and I speak for a few minutes. I said, Holy Spirit, I ask you right now for a wind, a tangible wind through this bar right now that everyone would feel it. And that's what happened. It just moved this wind and people were like, and they could feel it and they could feel it. And there's a lady here with a drink of vodka and she says, feel it. She comes up to the front in front of everybody and she's weeping and she's like, what is this? I'm like, that's Jesus. Do you want him? She's like, yes. She's crying. She gives her heart to the Lord right there. And then she tells me this story she, right there. She says, this is crazy. I was in a bar six miles away and I'm drinking with my friends. And somebody comes in and says, hey, did you hear there's a Christian night in this bar? She's like, no way. So she said, I got a taxi here just to see if they were lying. And then she gets saved. Her name was Bella. By the next week, she's at my new believers group. And we saw many people get touched by the power of God. I walk in one night and I became like, you know, friends. Uh, the bar owner came to church with his wife. Uh, we went out walking our dogs. We became good friends and we still are. But I went to, uh, well, I walked in one night with my, my, one of my new believer guys and they were doing a karaoke and we walk in and the karaoke guy's like, uh, hey, 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 how you doing? And he brings us over and he's like, man, you two just walked in. It was like, it was just like presence around you. Like he's not a believer. Uh, and he's like, this is going to sound crazy, man, but I've got to tell you this. My TV screen has not been working all night. As soon as you guys walked in, it started working. He's like, this is crazy. What's going on? I'm like, that's just Jesus, man. We began to see God do the most incredible things. But I'm going to tell you this, that it only happens when you leave the shore and you step into the deep. So I'm going to share this uh, story with you, one last story with you. So I basically realized, you know, through my life, I began to realize that it, wouldn't, it wasn't enough to stay comfortable. Now, we like being comfortable because, you know, it's nice. It feels good. But we're not satisfied. Spiritually, you're not satisfied. You know there's more. It's like a baby, you know, nursing at the mother's breast. It's like the baby's looking around for more. You know, you don't teach a baby, you don't say to a baby, now, I need to sit you down and teach you how to drink milk. You know, this is what happens. The baby's like, the baby knows that there's more. The baby is, is dissatisfied and instinctively knows that there is more for me. There's something that I can attain that is going to satisfy my hunger. So it's looking around until it finds what it needs. That is what it is like with sharing the gospel. You see, the Great Commission was given to disciples, not just evangelists. And when you're dissatisfied as a believer, it's because one, it's because you're at the safe place, hanging out on the shoreline, being a hearer, not a doer. And the second thing is, is that you should be out there doing the work of an evangelist. You should be out there sharing the gospel. And I promise you, until you do that, you're going to be like looking for more. You're going to be like, man, it's just something wrong. Or, you know, you're going to have to fill that void with other things. You're going to be dissatisfied. But God's calling you into the deep. You know, we don't have conferences. You guys are big into rugby over here, yeah? Is rugby a big thing over here? Yeah, okay. So, so have you ever heard of a conference where, you know, they have a three-day conference? And what they do is they bring all the men to the conference for three days. They bring seminar speakers up. And what they do is they teach the men how to talk to their friends in the pub about rugby. You've never heard of those conferences, have you? It would be laughable. 
Okay, we're gonna we're gonna really teach you now what to do when you're in the pub, you're drinking your your beer, and you need to kind of just make sure that you really present that love for your rugby team in the right way. Now that would be stupid. Let me tell you why. Because this is what happens with rugby fans. They get so filled of love for their team that it just spills out of them. So what we need to do, we need to get back to the place where we get so filled with Jesus that he just spills out of us. And then you're not overthinking it. You're not like, man, I better you know, put this hat on for that person and this one for that. No, you're just spilling out everywhere you go. Because whatever fills you, spills out you. So you've just got to let it flow out of you. And I realized for me that I needed more. You see, the deeper you get and the more you see Jesus, the more he says, come and do what I do. It becomes addictive. You're like, man, I want to I wanna do more, Lord. It's not enough. I, I need to see more. I want to see you do more. There's too many people dying. There's too many people still drowning. You see, we're rescuing people in this bit of the ocean, but over there, they're still drowning, which is why he says the laborers are few. You see, there's so many people in the ocean that are waiting and crying out to be rescued, but we're sitting in the safe place, just being hearers. So I decide, I say to my pastor, hey, will you buy me a tent? And I'm going to go to the five roughest estates in my community, the five worst estates. And I'll take a tent and I'll put it up and we'll share the gospel. And these are like paramilitary IRA type estates that run through fear. They're policed through fear. If you do something out of line, then they'll go in with balaclavas, kick your door down and shoot you. This is what happens in my community. So I've led some guys to the Lord in both sides, guys who, who the guys who, who punished them, uh, paramilitaries, and also the guys who've been on the other end. I've led both sides to the Lord. So I ask him for the tent, and he's like, okay, yeah. So he gets at me. Now I go and ask people, you know, who wants to come? Who wants to come and get involved? We're going to go to these places. We're going to go and rescue people. We're going to bring the gospel. Who would like to come? But, you know, everyone's okay here. They're okay being hearers, but when it comes to doers, the list isn't too big. So there wasn't very many who wanted to go, I've got to be honest with you. But there was a bunch of people who said, Scott, we'll go with you. And I'm going to tell you who those people were. They were the people who could remember what it felt like to be drowning and then to be rescued. You see, for many of us, it was so long ago when we got rescued and we forget what it feels like. But we need to remember. Man, I like to remember every single day. I like to remember that I was on the, the precipice of eternity with an invitation to hell. And the Holy Spirit stepped in and rescued me. I like to remember that. Because now I have a nice life. And, you know, back then, man, I was, it was bad. It was bad, man. I remember, like, my, my drug dealer friend, who's a friend of mine, I remember, like, crying, give me more drugs, give me more drugs. I remember siphoning petrol out of the car, just anything to get more drugs. I remember stealing my dad's car. Man, I'd do anything to get more drugs. That's where I was at. That's the, the life I was living. Until Jesus came and rescued me. But I don't want to forget that. Okay, you didn't have a crazy... Maybe you weren't drowning as bad as me. Maybe I was kicking and screaming or whatever. Maybe you were just leaning on a bit of driftwood. But the truth of it is, is that it wasn't going to sustain you. One day you would have drowned. So maybe Jesus intervened before it went bad. But for me, I was like, you know, just my mouth was left before I drowned and he rescued me. It doesn't matter what stage of drowning you're in, you're still drowning. But we need to remember. Because if you can't remember, then how are you going to ever empathize with those who are drowning still? So we go and we put our tent up and then we share the gospel. 
and it was incredible. The Lord poured out his spirit. We saw like 75 people come to know Jesus, and it was only a small tent. But this is what happened on the last, uh, the one but last evening. We put the tent up, and this storm comes out of nowhere. It's like winds are blowing like hurricane gales. The, 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 uh, the tent is like being... So people are starting to fall out with each other. They're like, man, you should have helped out there. And he's like, no, it's your fault. And they're like falling out and arguing. And I'm like, oh, this is going really bad. Tensions are rising. I'm to be just pull the plug on this one. Maybe we just go back to the shore. But I know we've got to stay because Jesus is with us. So we stay. And we put through the whole evening, we've got nine people in the corners holding the tent poles. Broke every health and safety law there is. But then I give the altar call. I say, hey, his age, his name's Stuart, and he comes with his brother, Gareth. His brother had been led to Jesus by one of my guys, my, one of my new believers, uh, six months previous. So he came, and he's there with his brother. Now, his brother wouldn't come to church. I'm not going to church, man. I don't even really believe in God. But we could get him to a tent. So he comes, and he stands there. The Spirit of God falls on him, and he, he stands there like this, and he's, like, moving, and he goes, ah, ah. And then he lets out this cry as 26 years 26 years of, of not knowing if he's going to make it, not knowing if he's going to drown. 26 years, and suddenly he's rescued. And he just lets out this cry. All his sins washed away. Remember the blood of Jesus that made you clean? It can make those guys clean too. So it made him clean, and in a second, he was washed brand new. And then after it finished, I said, hey, now talk into my phone and tell everyone what just happened to you. So he says, yeah, man, look, I came here with my brother, and, I, you know, I don't really believe in God, but, I mean, I felt this burning in my chest and, and this kind of thing, and he speaks for 45 seconds. He then came to the, that was the one before last tent mission. So he came to the last one, and we're, like, worshiping together in the tent, the same tent that he got saved at the night before. Then we go to church, and he worshiped in church. And this guy's a gangster. He's, like, covered in tattoos. He's, like, criminal. Uh, he had nine death threats from the paramilitaries the IRA. If you get one death threat, you better leave town. This guy had nine. He was a wanted man. On the run, crazy lifestyle, in and out of prison, drug dealing, all these crazy things. But suddenly, he's been made new. And what happens, he's like, I want to help out at church. You know, he's, he never had a job, you know, he's a career criminal. He's like, what can I do at church? And they're like, well, I don't know, do you want to hoover? He's like, I'll do anything. So he's like hoovering, uh, and he's kind of like doing all these cleaning jobs and everything like that. And then he signs up to be baptized with his brother, signs up to join my street team to be an evangelist, and it's just incredible, we worship together, anyway, I'm away, I go away, and I'm away for a week in England, and I get on the ferry, and I get a phone call, three and a half weeks had passed, and my friend calls me, he says, Scott Stewart's just died, and I said, what do you mean he's just died, he said he went camping with his girlfriend last night, and never woke up, 26 years of age, three and a half weeks after we sent our boat out into the ocean, our little tent that was like a boat. We went, sent it out just to rescue, just to lean over and say, hey, come on, man. Three and a half weeks later, he was died. He died. And they didn't know what was wrong, you know, so they did a toxicology report. They thought maybe he had drugs in his system because of his background, but there was nothing wrong. You see, people just drown every day. 100, over 160,000 people on our planet die every single day. None of us know when we're going to drown. But one thing's for sure, one thing's for certain in life is that every single human being will drown. But there's some good news. The father comes by in the ship of salvation and he throws his son in like a lifeline in the cold, dark waters. And he says, whoever grabs a hold of my son, I'm going to pull him aboard the ship of salvation. 
So what happened with Stuart was he spent all his life just out there in the deep cold doing his thing, just trying to survive. And suddenly he sees the lifeline of Jesus and he grabs a hold and he's rescued. You see, Jesus said, even when you die, you live. So he went to be with Jesus, and we were all shaken, and we didn't know what was going on, and my whole community, my new believers were all shaken. How can this happen? But then we realized the mercy of God, that a crazy guy with a crazy life, that God, in his mercy three and a half weeks before, would rescue him. And his mom came to me, and he said, Scott, for three weeks, I got my son back. And she said, will you speak at the funeral? And I went to speak at the funeral. And I shared at the funeral, you know, there was no church because they weren't a religious family. I just stood at the graveside. And I said, look, I know that Stuart was no angel. But you also know for three and a half weeks that that man became a brand new man. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when Jesus shed his blood on the cross... What he did is he paid for every sin that you've ever committed. And you maybe think you're better than Stuart, but I'm gonna, I've got news for you. You're as dirty a sinner as what he was. And you need the same blood that made him clean. And if you want it today, he's here. And people put their hand up at a graveside. And people began to cry at a funeral as they felt the Spirit of God. And I had messages up to a year after on Facebook. This is what people said to me, young people. They said, I want the Jesus that Stuart had. You see, they didn't want religion. They didn't want do's and don'ts. But what they wanted was to be rescued and to be given a brand new life. It was incredible. And Stuart, we heard these stories filtering through. Like people came to his home and it's, he would say things like, you don't come into my home and cuss and swear anymore. Okay, that's not what happens anymore. He was in the barbers getting his hair cut. He's telling people about Jesus as he's getting his hair cut. They buried him in the t-shirts that we wore in our mission, our tent mission, with a Bible on top of him. And his whole family came to know the Lord. They came to my new believers group, and it was incredible. But you know what I realized? This is what I realized. The Lord showed me this. That there is no backup plan. The church is my backup plan. Because I, I always thought this, man, you know, if I don't do it, somebody else will do it. God will make another way. But the Lord spoke to me. And the Lord showed me that. He didn't tell me to take my, my boat to that part of the ocean. I didn't receive a word from the Lord. Go. Now thee go to the, the, the darkest depths of the ocean. You know what I mean? I didn't receive this. All I did was feel compassion. Because I know that everyone's perishing. The scriptures tell me. And I know that his desire is that none should perish. I know that wide is the road that leads to destruction. And now is the path to life. And few find it. I don't need a sermon to know that people are drowning. I know it. And I know that his desire is that none should perish. So I can't stay here on the shoreline, having my holy huddle, leaning in, pressing into Jesus, and being a hearer. I've got to be a doer. So I went and I rescued somebody in that part of the ocean where nobody was going. And now he's with Jesus forever. Three and a half weeks before his crazy life was made clean. How many people in your community are like Stuart? They maybe don't have to have that crazy life, but how many people are drowning? How many people maybe only have three and a half weeks left? But all the while we're sitting here and we're just like enjoying each other's company. We're pressing into the Lord. We're enjoying it, but we're just listening. I'm going to tell you this. Faith without works is dead. We're not saved by it but it should slingshot you into the swallow of the storm. 